I have anxiety and depression. I only ever explained what I had as stress. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, I just have a lot to do. But I never had that language because it was something that wasn't discussed in my household growing up and wasn't discussed in my community, really. And so despite having support, and I think that's super important, that was a major barrier. This week's guest is Jorge Alvarez. And in a moment, he will be sharing more of his own story about his mental health problems and how he now works with integrating care culture into social media to help others just like him. And we will, of course, be talking about how mental health problems will look in the future and how best to cope with them. Welcome back to Lives of Tomorrow. My name's Carla Bazashi, and I'm the CEO of WGSN, the world's leading consumer insight and trend forecasting company. In this podcast, we focus on what our lives will look like in the future, our lives of tomorrow, and how all the trends and forecasts that we predict at WGSN will shape the way that we'll live our lives. Jorge Alvarez had a crisis during his time as an undergraduate student. But after receiving help, he started advocating for mental health on his college campus. Soon after, he took his stories and experiences to social media platforms, including TikTok. Later, he got a public health degree and has since spoken about mental health at the White House. And with that, welcome to Jorge. Yes, thank you so much, first and foremost, for having me. So my name is Jorge Alvarez, and like you mentioned, I'm a mental health advocate. I am a creator, and I'm also a social impact strategist. This is such an important topic, and I've got so many questions I want to answer you. But before we get into the questions, can you tell me if there's been any pivotal moment or maybe a person in your career who's had the most impact on getting you to where you are today? What I want to really emphasize here, and I think a moment that, in a person rather, that really has made a big difference in my life is my mom. When it comes to the way that I communicate and the way that I'm able to share my story, although there were a lot of cultural barriers, which were very real, at the same time, there was a part of her that always enforced having these conversations and expressing myself, at least with her. And so having now had the opportunity to take my voice to digital platforms, I feel like there's always a part of her and that voice of hers in me growing up that I still carry forward. Okay. I bet she's so proud of you. <laughs> she, I'm an only child, so you could imagine she talks quite a <laughs> bit about me. Well, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, but a lot of pride oh, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we get into this, I'm going to ask you something. You don't need to answer it until later in the conversation. So just think about it while you're talking. And the question is, when was the last time you learned something new? Preferably something's had an impact on the way that you live your life and see the world, but Mm -hmm. it could be something smaller. Okay? Great. Before we start talking about social media care culture, I really want to hear your story. You've been very open. You've spoken about your personal journey with mental health. So can you talk us through your experience in a little more detail? Yeah, absolutely. So my first year in undergrad, so uni, I had the opportunity to be part of a leadership program before I began. And I highlight that because despite having had access to a resource where I had increased mentorship, where I had academic support, I immediately struggled in the first few months, and that only worsened throughout my first year. Uh, I didn't 
one, have really any understanding or language of mental health, of anxiety, depression, etc. I only ever explained what I had as stress. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, I just have a lot to do. But I never had that language because it was something that wasn't discussed in my household growing up and wasn't discussed in my community, really. And so despite having support, and I think that's super important, that was a major barrier. Second, I'm also a first-generation college student, so the first in my family to attend college. And for me, that was super challenging because it's not like I had an uncle that I could text and say, hey, like I'm really struggling with this. How did you do it? And for me, that was really challenging because my parents were going through very real financial struggles that I felt were way above my experience with my mental health. And so I didn't want to burden them either. So there's so many layers, but all of those different factors led to me experiencing my own crisis, just experiencing really severe depression, anxiety. And it got to the point where I literally did not know how, like how to get out of it. And thankfully, when I went on my uh, winter break, I think that was a pause that I needed. And then I thankfully went on a service trip, my spring break, that allowed me to finally feel not alone. I met my now partner of almost five years. I've met my friends till this day who I have. And that was the turnaround point. But it wasn't until June 2018 where my now partner actually recommended that I go to my campus counseling center to get help. And when I did that, that's when I discovered, oh, I have anxiety and depression. And it was really helpful as much as it was scary at the time, because now I had words to identify and define my experience. And that then led to me feeling more empowered. And I was able to eventually kind of find a way to create the spaces that I needed. But that was my first year experience and what led to me being where I'm at today in a lot of ways. So let's start with the basics. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the term, what is social media care culture? And can you give me a current example that might resonate with people? Yes, absolutely. So social media care culture, in my opinion, is a collective landscape of different people, organizations, and just individuals who are showing up on social media, regardless of platform. And essentially, it is a way of not just showing up for others in having conversations that are meaningful, that are intentional, that discuss things that may not be accessible or discussed with your neighbors or your friends, etc. But it's also showing up for yourself first and foremost. I think in our world, we're always operating on go, go, go. And although in-person connection is invaluable and that's something we all crave as people, you know, the digital landscape has allowed us to bridge and form a lot of these connections that I think we lack and, and have those conversations that we lack that are pivotal to our personal development, to our mental health, to our growth. And for me, social media care culture is exactly that, is doing all of that online in that atmosphere. And it's also a way of recognizing that everyone is going through something. And at the same time, we're all having very similar and shared experiences, even though they may not be spotlighted in the mainstream. And it's a way of leaning into that as well. I worry. I was going to say, do you worry? Let me say, I worry. So tell me your response to this. But people who are suffering from severe clinical depression, memes, 
conversations online, they probably need medication. Not everyone agrees with medication, but they probably need medical intervention of some form. I guess my concern is that is this maybe not stopping people, but it's a sort of band-aid and that they need to more quickly get to professionals who can give them the help that they need? Oh, I love this question because it's, I think that social media is both a tool that makes and democratizes mental health resources and education, you know, makes it more accessible. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of folks can benefit from hearing others' stories and connecting with people in that way. But I think that we are teetering, and when it comes to mental health in particular, on an in, on a fine line, because I think at the same time, there's a lot of creators who, rather than talking from their individual experience, rather than sharing their stories, they're perpetuating an individualistic form of healing and self-betterment, right? We hear a lot of these videos that discuss themes and ideas like, oh, like, cut people off if they don't serve you. Or, you know, you need to like protect your peace. And I I'm for that. But as I've learned in therapy, right, there's a lot of work we can do with ourselves before we do that and further isolate ourselves. So that's a specific example in the case of someone who maybe is experiencing depression, like you said, that they might struggle with and may not see because, you know, they perhaps don't have access to therapy to learn what I learned and have no choice but to turn to social media. But now social media is again, either going to give them great information stories that they can resonate with, great tips, or some of those tips that may not be as empowering and could be more harmful. So I think that it's a fine line. And I think that both both things can exist and are true. Um, and I think that that is where conversations, at least here in my, you know, my state and my country, conversations around government support, and intervention and programs and funding towards those solutions are so imperative because I think it's important to ask the question, why are people turning to social media so heavily now? And we're seeing this increase in conversation around mental health, yet mental health statistics are still on, an, on a negative incline or decline. So definitely, definitely. I, I can dig into that. I love that you asked that question. Yeah. So let's let's pick up on what you just said there. And one of the very early episodes of this podcast, we talked about the rise of anxiety and some of that post-pandemic. But the state of the world, as you're saying, the data is showing that levels of um, mental health are increasing. Why do you think that is in an age where people can share more and there are resources? You know, you are one of these people creating these resources that people, why is it getting bigger? What, what do you think is the cause of that? And do you think there is a solution? Yes, I am extremely passionate about this exact topic, specifically because having studied public health and in understanding systems and communities and the different elements that ultimately impact one's well-being, my opinion, and I think this is pretty factual, um, is that public health and mental health have been separated from one another. So mental health has been isolated and approached from, as I shared a moment ago, an individualistic point of view, and not just by advocates, creators, individuals who are sharing tips, but also by agencies, nonprofits, etc. Rather than 
approaching and discussing the the root causes to mental illness, right? So poverty, poverty, lack of affordable housing, education, diet, environment. We're so focused on, as you shared, band-aid solutions. Oh, go to therapy. But how can everyone go to therapy if in again in in the insurance system we have it's just not accessible and so many people don't even have insurance, can't even afford insurance unless you have a job. So I think that because we're approaching it from that very individualistic, not intersectional point of view, that makes it really hard for there to be any progress because we're giving people Band-Aid solutions when they're already experiencing crisis, already experiencing mental illness, rather than taking the conversation a step back and discussing, okay, what are the other things that we can provide people with to prevent them from getting to this point? And to kind of interweld the way that social media is playing a factor in all this, I think that social media, again, is for a lot of people filling that gap of community, that gap of resources, but it's not the only solution. It is a way of speaking to people and reaching people and sharing much more efficient and effective solutions, um, but it should not be the only place that people have to feel like they are empowered and can get the help that they need. Shortly, we'll get into the future of social media care culture and how it's going to be implemented, plus explore the in-app resources available. But before we do that, some quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. So, Jorge, first question, why do you work? I work to live. Okay, that's pretty profound. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a sense of purpose in your work? I do. I do have a sense of purpose in my work. Thankfully, different paths of mine aligned right with my advocacy and the work I'm doing now. And so I think that my sense of purpose is really just continuing to do what I did a couple of years ago in undergrad and what I'm continuing to do now, which is creating those spaces for people and capturing stories that people can resonate with and in turn feel empowered to focus and prioritize their own mental health. Do you have a sense of purpose in your life? I do. I love this question sense of purpose in my life that's if you're asking me that's pretty profound and i think that that for me is really reminding myself that i'm here to just exist i've been doing a lot of reading i've read the alchemist i've read the four agreements and a lot of common themes is just reminding us that we're not here to produce we're here like any other living being to simply exist and we're intrinsically valuable and it was much harder for me to say that six years ago but i think i can embrace that gradually and have been When are you the most creative? I'm the most creative when I don't try to be. When I'm in nature or in the shower, I just start getting these creative ideas. When I'm driving, they just start flowing. And I'm currently reading The Creative Act. I'm I'm mentioning a lot of books here, but The Creative Act, and it talks a lot about how it's not necessarily about activating the creativity in you, but just having the space to allow that creativity to come. And I think that that's so true. So when I at least try, for sure. Excellent. What makes you happy? I will say conversations with friends. Um, Just having one-on-one quality time, that's part of my love language. So I love just having that one-on-one quality time. Sitting in cafes seriously makes me very happy. Just the smell of coffee and people moving around and enjoying a nice latte. When are you offline? I'm offline when I am with friends, 100%. When I'm with friends, I make it a point. Like That's a very intentional act for me to not be online or look at a screen. And 
also when I make the space to read, as I shared, I'm reading quite a few books right now. And then also when I go on hikes, I love to just go on casual hikes. There's a few different spots near me, 20 minute drives max. And I just love to unplug and just listen to the water and the streams and just go that way. Yeah, it's the nature thing. I'm with you. I'm very into I'm very into just going for walks, but forest bathing is the kind of wellness term for it. Yeah. And I do find if I haven't gone out and been kind of encased in trees in some shape or form, I don't feel so happy. So yeah, nature's a good a oh, good absolutely. antidote. When was the last time that you felt you were wasting your time and you only had yourself to blame for it? Oh, these are such varying questions and I love it. Honestly, I would say that that is, that is almost a weekly experience. I think that there are just a lot of days, and this is where my anxiety plays into it, a lot of days where I convince myself that I was wasting time by applying to a job that I got rejected from the next day, that I was procrastinating on an application for a scholarship, a grant, or even a job, right, that just wound up not working out or that... I realize in hindsight, I could have just done it in an hour. So I think that there's a lot of situ like daily experiences and situations like that, that at the end of the day, my anxiety will make me think, oh my gosh, I wasted time doing that. And it's hard to like distinguish when is this the anxiety versus, okay, maybe I could have done things differently. So I'd say that's a weekly experience. There's no one experience that really comes to mind. Okay. Thank you for your honesty with those answers. That was, that was great. Now, this podcast is all about the future. So we've talked a lot about the here and now, what you're doing, why you're doing it. What do you predict in this space? How do you think social media care culture will evolve? Social media care culture, I think, is going to shift in the sense that storytelling and sharing personal experiences is going to continue to be normalized. And I think that that's going to be the way that even the creator economy, to throw that term in there, is going to begin to shift. I think that right now people are starting to crave connection beyond trends. And this has been an ongoing trend in my experience, mm -hmm. but I think that it's going to continue to move that way um, towards storytelling. I also think that there's going to be more accountability for creators, advocates, activists, folks who share tips. Because as we mentioned, a lot of times, folks tend to perpetuate an individualistic approach to things or perpetuate solutions that worked for them and, and frame it in a way that it's something that's going to work for everyone. And I think that there's going to be more accountability around and more care around the way that people navigate those conversations, for sure. There is obviously the topic here of how social media is impacting that rising, you know, the rising rates that we're seeing and this always on culture and the dopamine hook and hit that we crave from social media. It's kind of become wired into our brains. Do you think that there is more that needs to be done on that front in terms of sort of, you know, restricting access? I mean, there's, you know, there's a big debate there We're with, you know, free will and free movement. And but do you think that we might get to a stage where those kind of things need to be legislated for because of the impact they have on people's mental health? Yes, I think that we definitely need to have stronger tools and stronger mechanics implemented in these platforms. And I think that we are seeing that 
gradually. So, you know, an example is TikTok, right? TikTok and Instagram. They both have implemented in-app tools to help you with your screen time in giving you those notifications to remind you like, hey, you spend this amount of time or even setting up like a block similar to screen time on any Apple iPhone. But the reality is those tools are only going to do so much, right? Because at the end of the day, they don't, these companies don't want to restrict the amount that we're using and the screen time that we have entirely because, I mean, that's how they generate money. So that's why I mentioned earlier that a lot of folks are turning to external tools. There's this one app that I use that's incredible. It's called OneSec. It's an app blocker, but it's unique in that whenever I open social media, it'll quite literally generate this animation that encourages me to take a breath. And then I have to input an intention, type physically type an intention as to why I'm using that app before I can go to set app. And that's an incredible tool, right? Do I see a company implementing that? Not anytime soon, but I would like to. Like that's an example of things I would love to see just in app. So everyone has to use it. But I think that that's where legislation legislation and accountability around how these companies operate and transparency around algorithms and also continued research on the impact that social media platforms have on folks' mental health is imperative because without a system of checks and balances, you know, these algorithms and platforms could essentially continue to create more and more addictive platforms without us recognizing before it's too late. And I mean, one Google search and you can already find plenty on this topic. So absolutely. More reading for me to do on that. What's the, what's <laughs> yeah. it called? One sec, the app? One sec. Mm-hmm. One sec. Okay. What, what's an example of an intention you write? So I quite literally write in why I'm using it. So let's say that I get a DM on Instagram. When I tap the notification before the app opens, you know, generates this like animation that literally goes up and down on the screen. It's like at least five seconds which prompts me to take a breath. And then it'll say, oh, insert your intention. And I'll literally say, oh, I'm responding to this person's DM and I'll write the name. So that way I can remember like when I'm on the app, okay, I am doing it for this. I'm not about to accidentally or just naturally tap reels and now fall into this void. So what I love about this tool is that it kind of combats the kind of disguised elements that social media has. So with Instagram, let's say a friend that sends you a reel. If you realize, even though they sent you a reel, if you swipe up, it automatically takes you to the general reel feed without any other friction. So that's great UI, UX to encourage people to scroll. But if I don't want to scroll and it just now becomes habit to do that, that little motion, now that's like an hour of time scrolling. So using a tool like OneSec, has really helped me. And I'm not sponsored or anything. That's kind of funny. I should reach out to them. But <laughs> yeah, that that is, I definitely really enjoy using it. I love that. It's about, so you're reducing the time probably, but it's also, you've got to think why you came on there in the first place. I just turned off no- notifications. I mean, that's a very old school, <laughs> a very technologically advanced way of dealing with it, but I just turned off notifications. So I don't get prompted, but then I don't make my living from interacting with people on social media. It is just that kind of time suck. And that's an interesting point because I also have notifications turned off except for DMs. I don't get comment notifications, none of that. But I think a lot of folks in my generation actually heavily use things like Instagram and Snapchat primarily as primary forms of communication versus iMessage, which is interesting, right? So I think that is an added barrier. It's like these platforms are trying to become like the WeChat that we see in China, right? Which is like an all-in-one 
platform for messaging, social, everything, shopping. But you're working in in predicting the future just as I am. Are you most anxious or hopeful of what's in store for us in years to come? There's a part of me that wants to be hopeful, right? Because there's an increase in conversation, specifically around this topic of social media care culture, mental health. There is an increased conversation around solutions and approaches. But as people who use data and understand data and understand how history tends to repeat itself and continue for quite some time before change happens, I think that's where I'm a little bit nervous and skeptical because, again, mental health trends in the U.S. and globally have continued to be on an incline for three decades and nothing has changed. I'm naturally optimistic. I can pretty much see the positive in every scenario. So I am optimistic about the future, but I also think there's a responsibility on everybody. I don't think it's as easy as saying the government have to do this. I don't think it's as easy as saying social media platforms have to do this. I think it's not as easy as saying, you know, consumers need to make changes. I think it's on everybody to do their little bit and that's how things improve. And I think talking is one thing, but I think action is another I tell you what does make me nervous, though, is the environment at the moment that so you're talking about storytelling and you're talking about people sharing their stories and their opinions and that people can be shut down, cancelled, you know, but effectively shut down and criticised so vehemently now for misspeaking. And that does give me cause, cause for concern, because what you and I are saying here and now is that we need to encourage people to talk more. And I do think people are getting nervous about sharing. And, you know, let's not stray into kind of other more contentious topic areas. But that worries me that for this world to become a better place, people need to be comfortable with sharing their opinion. And people also need to be comfortable with disagreeing with other people's opinions, but not that then becoming this virtual fight and a virtual fight that sometimes spills over into terrible threats. That does worry me. And But it comes back to, therefore, I think we've all, all got a responsibility to listen to other opinions and sometimes agree to disagree. That's a really great point. I was listening to a podcast that had Hassan Minhaj. He's a comedian, but an amazing creator. And he made a joke around this kind of, to your point of like how Twitter quote tweets should be a productive thing, right? You can add opinions on each other. But 90% of the time, if you see a quote tweet, it is not a productive, it is not a positive take or building on the person. It's usually kind of a counter. And on one hand, we can argue that that's great, right? We're having discourse and discourse is always, can be in a lot of ways productive. But to your point, I, I think that that's a very valid concern and something that we need to be conscious about because that quote tweet example is a, a tangible example of how I think People getting feedback and people engaging in discourse could not be taken the right way, but could also be really challenging for some people. Let's get back to the question from the beginning. When was the last time you learned something new that's had an impact on how you live your life today? So when you mentioned it earlier, I wrote a few things down. And I think for me, what my mind really goes to uh, it really comes back to this idea of storytelling and how I view my voice. So I think years ago, I didn't really see a lot of worth in my opinions, my voice, what I had to share. And I think this is perfect to the conversation we were just having. But for me, what I recognized was 
just by sharing my own experiences and by sharing what's worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, that is part of building connection, both on and most importantly, offline, right? Embodying that and practicing it in my day-to-day has really, really changed the way that I've been able to deepen friendships and build intimacy in friendships. It's changed the way that I can be a son. It's changed the way that I'm a partner. And I think it's also informed my work, right? It's informed the way that I view how I'm leveraged in spaces and how I can leverage my own voice in a lot of spaces and recognizing that, you know, whether I'm working on something that's specifically about storytelling or just sharing what I think is empowering and and impactful, that there is so much strength in that. And I know this is like very broad and not skill oriented, but for me, I think that that is what comes to mind when I think about kind of all facets of my life. Thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I feel we could continue talking and this could lead us into many other topics, but but we are on time. So I'll thank you again for, for being here with me today, talking about social media care culture and everything that goes into it. And, and I hope everyone listening does feel a little bit positive about the future, but also feels maybe a bit more equipped to go and find more information on this topic. Well, hey, how can our listeners track you down? Which social media platforms should they be going to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at I, Jorge Alvarez, first and last name, just with an I in front. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, as everyone can. But other than that, I am always here to have a conversation if anyone has an opinion they want to share or wants to have, like we discussed, that discourse. I'm always open to that. And thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Jorge, for your work with others and being so open with me about your own journey. That's it for today, I'm afraid. I hope in this episode you've come to understand exactly what social media care culture is, how it impacts us, and from this discussion maybe formed a new view on the topic. And of course, I hope you found it just as interesting and insightful as I did. As always, you can let me know what you think about this podcast and the direction you want it to be going in. Write to me on lives at wgsn.com to give me your input. Next week, my colleague Bethan Ryder, host of WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast, will be talking all about Milan Design Week, so make sure you tune in for that one. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.